0: Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Jussi. And I'm Tobias. Join us
1: for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I am back with Jussi Ruene, what's up? Hey, Toby, all good
0: here. Um, what's up lately? Uh, I've spent a lot of evenings and perhaps a full weekend already on this. So for school, uh, I think I've mentioned that a couple of times, but for school, I've got one of the last major assignments that I need to work on. So the deadline is still far, far away, but I'm, I, I usually want to get things done uh, as fast as possible on, on stuff like this. So the assignment that I'm working on now is a financial assignment on wealth management. And it's, it's slightly scary that you get this predefined scenario. Imagine a couple living in Helsinki. They have an apartment in Stockholm. They earn this and that. They have savings like this, stocks like this, U.S. bonds like that. Craft a financial plan for them so that they can retire at the age of 65 with net wealth of $12 million. And then you start writing that out, you start doing the excelling exercise, and it sort of opens your eyes that you keep learning at the same time, but it's also super scary that I don't know too many people who have done that for their own financial situation. It's more about let's do this and then we can forget this. So I created together with my partner who's working on the assignment with me, uh, an Excel worksheet that has all the details in your life including what's coming, what's going, what sort of cash flows do you have. And, and once I'm done with this, I'll spend another weekend perhaps to plotting in my own numbers in there. And then perhaps in a future episode, I can say, yeah, Yus is not going to retire at age 65. He's going to retire at 95.
1: I mean, if, if you find the recipe to get those $12 million, I mean, I'm all ears. I can even give you a couple of percentage if you manage my finances for me.
0: Sounds really good. So for the low, low fee of 2%.
1: <laughs> well, that's okay. If you give me 12 mil- million, I'll give you 2%. So that's cool.
0: <laughs> well, we're going to start with 15 million and I promise that you will have 12. <laughs>
1: <in> <laughs> there you
0: go. Alrighty. So what's, what's up with you?
1: So not as ma- much financials on my side. I instead been doing a lot of uh, multi-geo system setup in the cloud, which is pretty fun so i've been drilling deep into data sovereignty and data isolation and customer data protection and you know operating distributed cloud solutions it's 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 coming with a bunch of challenges and you know setting things up technically is not too difficult because with the modern cloud you can pretty much click it or temp, make templates for it and then you know replicate your setup across regions uh, which is what we've done and that's pretty cool But then comes all the legislation for different countries and how do you keep my data? How does the data flow between different endpoints? And when you uh, connect to that and consent to your app, where do you get the data from and where is it stored? Where is it passing through? I mean, there's a lot of things to think about when you do that. So we've um, now set up um, kind of more Azure data center replications for some of our cloud solutions. And that's pretty cool to see. Uh, how customers now can start using things from other regions than the, the defaults that we offer and also how we can protect the data uh, from um, you know, a compliance management perspective as well. So there's, there's a lot of learnings in that. Um, it's extremely fun, but it doesn't come without challenges. And most of the challenges in this case are theoretical. Setting it up, it's easy, but then ensuring that you comply with all the legislation in different countries, that's the challenging part. Uh, but definitely cool. So that's that's what I've been up to. Perhaps not as fun as calculating the numbers for your 12 million exit, um, ergo going into retirement. Um, but yeah, other exercises for the mind, which is pretty cool. The, the
0: multi-geo thing, it's, it's really interesting. And as you mentioned, the technical bits, getting it up and running, that's relatively easy once you go through the documentation and start testing. But then when you put the human angle in there, I always feel that that's the challenge in there, understanding le- legislation, understanding what goes where and, and how is this specific data that we have in here now secured and how can we audit this? So yeah. I, I feel there's a lot of work in there to be done, but I also feel that the tools are much more uh, mature and advanced than what they used to be years ago. Yeah. All so today's episode is going to be Azure in space, question mark.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> so, so we chose this topic because uh, throughout this year, Microsoft has uh, sent out a couple of announcements on Azure space things. And, and at Ignite this year, I think they did a couple of more announcements and, and in between Ignite and this moment, uh, a couple of more came out. So we figured, let's, let's dive a bit deeper into this. What does it actually mean? Because it's always easy to, to give out a buzzword like space and Azure and cloud and serverless. But what does it mean in practice? So I spent a bit of time on this. And when I say a bit of time, almost as much as I did on my wealth assignment thing, to, to understand what's at play here and, and when should you worry or when should you start uh, picking more interest in Azure in space question mark?
1: I'm, so, so I'm only curious about, will I get a satellite somehow so I can deploy something into orbit? That would be really cool. That's the only thing. If you have the solution for me, you know, let me know.
0: <laughs> yeah, first we start with the, with the $12 million retirement fund. <laughs>
1: right, yeah. Okay, let's start. And then
0: it's, then it's easily arranged from there. So the tagline that Microsoft uses for Azure in space is powering innovation on earth and beyond. And this always reminds me of Toy Story and Buzz Lightyear who says to infinity and beyond. Uh, so so there's a couple of different bits here and let's start with the more easy ones and then advance to the more, more challenging concepts. And I, I have to openly admit, I do not own any satellites. So I couldn't spin up any of these services myself. But I did do a lot of reading and a couple of chats with people to, to further understand what's, what's this thing here. So, so the basic bit here is Microsoft partnership with SpaceX. And SpaceX has a service called Starlink. And Starlink provides high-speed, low-latency satellite broadband. That's, that's one bit in there. And the, through the partnership, the SpaceX Starlink can be connected with an Azure modular data center. And we mentioned this a couple of episodes back. I think it was one of the Ignite updates that we did. So already here, we have two things. We have Starlink, which is a service, and then we have the capability to connect to Azure modular data center MDC. So Starlink and depending on, on whereabouts you live, might be something that, that you can already sign up today for. And in the Nordics, I think it's not available yet. So it's a satellite network. And Starlink or SpaceX has permission to launch 12,000 satellites in total in the coming years. And I, I found out that during May 2019, which was all, all, all already about 18 months ago, They had about 900 satellites in orbit.
1: And And these satellites are dedicated for this purpose of Azure in space, or is it like shared satellites where there's a multi purpose because of the partnership with SpaceX, or are they like dedicated?
0: So, my understanding is that these satellites, the 900 plus, it might be more now, uh, are for the purpose of providing low latency. Uh, broadband connectivity to people in remote areas, but also to companies needing fast internet access or in internal access to whatever resources they might have. And that's where you would add the Azure modular data center as as part of this architecture. So the operational altitude for the Starlink satellites is, is 340 miles, which is about 550 kilometers. And, and that puts the Starlink satellites in the low Earth orbit (LEO), which is which is closest to surface from the from the different options you can choose from. And if you want to try out Starlink, uh, the beta testing started a couple of weeks ago. And the sign-up fee is about five hundred dollars to get the equipment, and then it's about ninety-nine dollars per month to get it. And I did find one. Review on this, and people are getting speeds between fifty to one hundred and fifty megabits with a latency. And, and the 20... Equipment
1: here—that's the like modems or connectors to to get connected yeah. to the satellites. It's not an actual yeah. satellite, right?
0: Sadly, no. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> Dang it, I, I believe it's some sort of um, uh, a switch or router connected with a small dish that you put on the balcony, and okay. then 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 you can connect. And the latency is about 20 to 40 milliseconds. So, so it's amazingly good. And, and, and even with the limited amount of satellites now, people are saying that, that it just works. That, of course, it's in beta now. There, there's some blackouts. But more or less, it seems to work really, really well. So from here, uh, Microsoft is also working with a company called SES. And, and through SES and I, I think SES is in the business of doing the ground stations. So Microsoft is connecting with SES and SpaceX connects with SES and through there, customers utilizing Starlink can connect back to their Azure backbone securely without needing to build this sort of connection and integration manually. And this is, this is the essence of the partnership with SpaceX Starlink and Microsoft Azure.
1: Right. I, I like this concept and I like the idea. And I also like the, the idea of, you know, providing uh, broadband across the globe, even in the areas that are so far remote that you could, couldn't possibly dig a cable over there. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And it's, I mean, we live in a time now where this is actually possible. Something you saw in a sci-fi movie 20 years ago is now happening. And, uh, you know, it's not that far fetched. Let's just hope that there's not enough space junk in 20 years to to cause collisions and whatever. Um, but I like this idea, like innovation for, for the better and for greater good in the sense that you can bring everyone to a more connected world. Um, so I like that. And let's just hope there is no opportunities to deploy malware on the satellite system so they go haywire in orbit. <laughs> true, true. And I
0: recall... the the first discussions already way back in 1980s when when we started getting these commercial satellites that that would beam movie channels to your home, for example. And even then, and I was super young at the time, I still am, but then I was more younger. Even then, I recall that people were sort of worried that, okay, what about the junk and what if they fall down and all this? Uh, So I I had a look on, on the different altitudes that they are using so I already mentioned the low earth orbit LEO so that's where Starlink is that's closest to us then there's something called the medium earth orbit MEO uh, which is a little bit higher and that's between 5,000 and 12,000 kilometers so about 3,000 to 7,500 miles from the surface and then you have the geosynchronous orbit or GEO and that's, that's the highest one. Uh, it's about 35,000 kilometers or 22,000 miles from the surface. So obviously, with Geo, you get a lot of latency. But if you're just enjoying your movies, you don't really care because you're, you're just, just getting the stream with enough buffering, perhaps. But with Leo, if you utilize that network connection to uh, play online games like Fortnite, then the more latency you have, the, the less you actually benefit from that connection. So I think that the key bit here is that Starlink found a way to easily, or perhaps that's an oversimplification, but more affordably send small satellites on LEO and then immediately start capitalizing on that by by uh, allowing you to sign up for SERPs. And I'm happy to see also that Microsoft is supporting this sort of approach here. And apparently that is true SES as well. But then the the other bit here, beyond this partnership is Azure Orbital, which was also announced in 2020. And when I saw the announcement, I think it was part of some keynote, perhaps by Satya Nadella, somebody put on social media, finally, I have Azure in space. And and I wasn't really sure. Am I not getting this right, or is there some sort of misconception? So what is Azure Orbital? Because if it's part of a keynote, you sort of start thinking that okay, this is something we all can get. So I'll just fire up Azure Portal and where do I find Azure Orbital to fire off my own satellites in space, for for a low fee. So what Azure Orbital is, it enables satellite operators to communicate to and control their satellites and data and integrate that back to Azure. So these satellite operators, which which is not Microsoft, but other commercial vendors like Viasat or Kubos or Kratos, uh, they already have their own setups. But if they would like to allow you to benefit from those services, you might already be using Azure. So so you would say, well, I've got Azure AD and, and I can do integrations. So how do I connect with your satellite thing here to have an API for it? And with Azure Orbital, it's a service, but it's also a framework to connect these commercial operators to Azure so that if you you need some sort of additional services that those satellites provide, you can then get that data and send that data back if needed through your existing Azure uh, architecture and the setup that you have today.
1: Right. That's pretty interesting. So why would I, like, what are the scenarios for where I would want to do that? Because what you mentioned before you stream a movie. Okay. I get that. We did that in the like nineties and that worked with a, uh, one of those dishes that you could put on, like you said, on the balcony or on your roof. Uh, But what are the scenarios now? Uh, So that was one scenario. The other one was uh, you get connectivity, right? So you have a satellite now across the globe uh, or outside the globe uh, in orbit and you, can kind of connect to that as a a broadband. Now, what other scenarios do you have? Like, why would I want to build something on Azure on a satellite? Or, you know, what's the use case here? Because it sounds cool. There's a satellite. You can hook up to it. Maybe I can purchase a, a small bandwidth on a specific satellite or a specific satellite system or whatever, how that works. If I have the money, what would I do with it? You know, are there any known scenarios that comes to mind where, you would kind of want to put this into practice?
0: I I had a look on, on what the different scenarios are, and I could sort of already envision something uh, from the top of my head. So so one is, is all maritime-related activities. Perhaps you connect that with weather. Should we take this or that uh, route to get from this city to that city if you're crossing a major ocean or sea? That's one. Uh, The other other is defense, of course. So we want to see what's happening close to the country borders, for example. But you could also think of defense in a smaller scale, not per country, perhaps per per, uh, a location, for example. So we want to see any sort of differences happening overnight around this specific area. Uh, Geology that I know nothing about. I know it has to do with stones and rocks. Uh, That's one. And then agriculture, so I think we already did one episode on Azure FarmBates, which yeah. was the Azure-based farming solution uh, predictor using AI, so I'm thinking with agriculture you could also get, get uh, yearly mapping dates, uh, yearly predictions, okay, this is how it's going to look next year for your crops, perhaps you need to do something. and. I'm not thinking that somebody who runs a farm, or somebody who needs to do geology, geology-related things, uh, reaches out to a commercial uh, satellite company to say, "Hey, so I need to connect my Azure subscription to get things." But there's 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 a, there's a business here for companies to connect that data that's more easily now uh, retrieved through Azure Orbital, package that. And then resell that data to companies and even end users uh, in addition, oceanography, so mapping the seas is one and then intelligence of course so I, I think a lot of countries are interested in in the whole intelligence and defense aspect in here
1: yeah that's I mean it, it enables a lot um, and I wonder how that's kind of. I don't know the intricate details of, you know, who owns this space outside of earth when things are in orbit, you know, what if one country shoots up 10,000 satellites and a different country chooses to push up 250,000 satellites, who has to, the right to do that? I have no idea. But when you mention like defense and intelligence, that was, you know, that comes to mind, especially if you've seen all these, you know, movies about wars and how to control satellites and all this stuff. Obviously, that's a lot of sci-fi, but there is a touch of reality in that now because these companies, usually private companies, are launching 10,000 satellites up into space. I have no idea who owns them or what they can access, but in theory, they have global coverage, right? So espionage, intelligence, defense, all of these things. Now you can see everything around the globe, uh, can access everything everywhere, connect to everything everywhere uh, in, in various ways. So I understand there's a business for that, but I don't understand how in the long-term this can be kind of controlled, if you will, but I'm sure there's there's ways for that. What I'm extremely uh, excited about is when this becomes a more norm for us to kind of subscribe to a satellite provider and say, you know what, I want to use some capacity of your satellite to connect to and then make use of whatever service I have. Because one thing that comes to mind is when you talk about agriculture, we talked about Asher farm beats, like you said, and we also mentioned there in that episode, I, I think I recall that because some farms are so out and about that there's no broadband, there's no connectivity, and might even be difficult time to get a, a signal on your cell phone. And depending on where the farm is, uh, they had a solution where you could kind of hijack the FM band or whatever it was, so like the radio channels. But that's very limited data that you can send. With this, you could get broadband like 50 megabit or whatever that will will the capacity will be on your farm, which is off the grid essentially. So there's I can see these benefits and I, I really hope there's a way come in the coming years where we can just say, you know what? Click here, deduct some credits from my credit card or my Azure subscription, and you get this or that much capacity in this satellite system. Covering your area where you can now get broadband for your Azure farm, Beats or whatever it is. That's that's what I envision. What I would need,
0: and then you can finally get Netflix working in your farm as well. So exactly. I think that, yep. that that's yep. the business driver
1: where I need it. Yep.
0: <laughs> and I think living in a in a city. So I live in Helsinki. You live you you live in Malmo or close to Malmo city. Uh, it's easy to get good connectivity. But once you go to, to, to more remote locations, even in for us, we go to Lapland. You go on top of a mountain. Well, your side, you have mountains. We only have the hills. We lost on, on that lottery. But you go on top of a mountain, you pull out your, your fancy 5G phone, you're not going to, going, going to get any connectivity in there. So, so even for this, I feel that $99 a month for Starlink is a fairly good proposition, if you have the need for it. And when you scale that up for companies, meaning that I can actually utilize those services, if just the connectivity or the data that I get through those satellites, and then connect that with Azure, and, and subsequently connect from there to my on-premises or Edge or whatever else I have, it, it makes a lot of sense. But it also means that Azure Orbital the SpaceX Starlink support. It's, it's a bit of hype in the sense that it's its not something that anybody could start using today. You really have to be in that industry. You really have to have uh, a benefit of getting that data and, and be willing to pay for it. Um, so how would you get started with Azure Orbital? I, I put on my hat thinking that perhaps I, I now own business that wants to connect my satellite setup to azure so there's a form you can fill out it's at aka.ms i am interested i'll put the (laughs) I'll, I'll, i'll put the link in the show notes and what you need to do technically and this is oversimplified but this is the only only thing i could find you need to register your spacecraft So if you have multiple, (laughs) you need to register (laughs) all of them.
1: Oh, my spacecraft. I'm going to go look in my garage what I have to register.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Choose the black one or perhaps the white one, depending if if you want to fly only during the night or day. Um, And then create a contact profile. So in there, you set the frequency, the bandwidth, all those specific values. And then you set the schedule. How often do you want to ping your spacecraft? And then click OK and wait for the provisioning to complete. This is the service, Azure Orbital. But in order to actually do this, you start by acquiring a spacecraft. So that's one challenge.
1: Yeah, I like the first step being register your your spacecraft. Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Done, check, moving on. (laughs) Uh, But even then, I I think it's, it's a bit oversimplified because if you have a spacecraft, you probably have a lot of variables in your business then the problem isn't really, how do I get this connected per se, but the problem is how do we get a business out of this? And then the technology will follow, just like with the multi-geo that you mentioned when we got started today. Uh, So in a sense, I I feel that Azure Orbital is moving from a classic capex to opex. So we, we want to move from capital expenditures to operational, expenditures meaning that we want to invest when we need to but should, should our business requirements change in the future then we haven't sunk a lot of money in those investments so it isn't just about space but also connectivity and Azure capabilities to remote and rugged areas so Azure modular data center is key here as well as Azure Stack but then you need that connectivity through the ground stations. And that happens through Azure Orbital. And Starlink is one option in there that you can also utilize. Cool. So sadly, Azure in space does not mean that you get to deploy your virtual machines to run in space <laughs> a secret. I'm hoping that could happen, but this is more about if you have a spacecraft or multiple of those. You can (laughs) finally get those. A small
1: prerequisite, (laughs) yeah.
0: Yeah. If you have any of those, you can now get those connected. But also, when other companies are registering their spacecraft and getting connected to Azure Orbital, uh, that might take a number of years. But that also means that we are getting those services that we can then utilize elsewhere, even if we have nothing to do with Azure Orbital or satellites or space. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I knew nothing about this before this episode. So you've elaborated a lot on that. So you've en- enlightened some ideas. If I were to ever acquire a spacecraft, which I'm now going to go and follow Elon Musk on Twitter and see what comes out of that. You know, perhaps I can ask him for a spacecraft. Uh, yeah. I think he has a few. And then If we manage to acquire one we can put this into practice and and do a proof of concept on a satellite or or a rocket
0: that would be fun so once we're done with recording this i'll go back to my excel with the wealth management assignment i'll add one more row acquire (laughs) spacecraft and then have a have a multitude of years perhaps 30 years to save up for that All right, so this was fun. This was slightly different because we don't have any sort of service we can actually deploy and learn more about, but there's there's plenty of information available on Azure in space and and what Azure Orbital is or what it hopes to be. So I I hope the enlightenment here was useful. So the next time you see Azure in space in the news headlines, you have a, a more realistic expectation what that specifically means. Yep. Cool. Alrighty. Thanks for joining once again. And until next time. See you then.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.